Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. They say you have to be crazy to change the world. At least that's what Steve Jobs said. In this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs, my very special guest, Wally Rashid, tells us his story of quitting med school and starting his own business. We're also going to be talking about fourth dimensional thinking. It's that space where you go to to get all those creative ideas. This is a super fun episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast that you won't want to miss. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media and the Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. And welcome to the Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Wally Rashid. Hello, nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you too, Wally. I mean, like I was just telling you, I was so... I don't know. Your story on TikTok just grabbed me. I was like, wait, wait, what? What did this guy do? Wait, what? (laughs) So, you know, let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit because it's pretty crazy. And I just told you my story of how I kind of did the same thing and shifted. Um, But yeah, it's pretty intense. So let's get into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, So where should I start from the beginning or kind of what initiated all of this? Well, just tell us about yourself. Like, who is yeah. Wally? Yeah, well, so I, I'm i Wally, and um, I spent my entire life, I'm 27 now, and I spent my entire life uh, pursuing becoming a surgeon. Um, from, honestly, from middle school, I remember I, you know, whenever they would ask us what we wanted to do when we grew, would grow up, I would tell them I was going to be a doctor, and I, I've, I was set on that. Um, and I think a large part of me wanting to be set on it was because I've always had a more science oriented brain and I love biology and I was interested in it. Um, so as once I graduated college and I graduated college from the University of California, Irvine, I did get into medical school and I got into medical school and I could just tell that there was a part of me that was saying that there, that there's a lot more to life than what I'm currently living. Um, And I also felt like a large part of me wanting to be a doctor that I didn't really face early on was because of one, the social status was a big one, just because, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're a doctor. And whenever I would tell people when I'm younger, they make it out to be this really, you know, novel thing. So then obviously it it kind of confirms, okay, I should go into it. Um, But anyways, uh, I did that and halfway through med school, I was just reaching a point where I just was not happy with myself, was not happy with my life. And I um, wanted to get out. But with $240,000 in student debt, I can't just get out, you know, and just think everything's going to be okay. So I, um, I didn't really know what to do. And I thought that there was no way out. And I thought the rest of my life, I would have to become a doctor to be able to afford this debt. And I was on a run one day and I was really just at the, I felt, I I felt like I was at my lowest point and I was on this run and I was just, you know, bawling my eyes out, crying, trying to figure out what to do. 
And it, this, you know, these thoughts just kind of hit me and it painted a picture for my way out that I've never had before. And the thoughts were, you know, turn create a multi-million dollar home decor company, drop out of med school and go into motivational speaking. And they weren't, when I heard those thoughts, they weren't just words, but it was a whole, it was almost like a video. It was a whole vision of this life that I could live. And it was the first time in so long where I kept wanting to figure out my way out. And to me, it looked like I just was given the path. Um, and for once in my life, I finally had hope after a really long time because I felt like I, I lost hope trying to figure out how to get out of my situation. And uh, that moment on that run really impacted me because I, I felt like I was finally given the path. And for some reason, I, I decided to believe it. Uh, and during that year, I immediately just started devouring books on business and how to start a business. And I was determined ever since to really make it happen. I uh, dropped out of med school that year. Um, my business started to expand, uh, quit my plastic surgery research position at Stanford. I was doing that that year as well. Um, and yeah, so that was about a year ago, but I made the official jump at the end of spring and now it's October. Uh, and now I am in Oklahoma City uh, and we have a 3D printing factory and we 3D print home uh, planters, vases. We're actually next month releasing a line of home decor products. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, that's that's a little, that's a, a quick overview, I guess, of kind of where I'm at with everything. Oh my God, I love it. And I love your lab with all the 3D printers. It looks amazing. Thank you so I much. Was like, that is so crazy, but you're like literally in the future. It's like when you were on that run, you saw your future self, you know, you saw this other timeline and you're like, I'm jumping on that. Yeah. Kind of I feel think... like that, like kind of explain that whole process. I mean, cause it's, it's very like quantum, very metaphysical, you know, because that's, that's hard for anybody to do. Cause from my experience, people's egos get in the way. I mean, they mm -hmm. can see that future, you know, and I've talked about this before. I dated a guy who would always tell me, I've, I've seen you in the future and I've seen what you're going to become, you know? And yeah. <clears throat> the funny thing is he won't leave his old self. Like he's so stuck in his ego that he cannot make that shift. And I was like, well, why are you so busy looking at me? Why don't you focus on yourself and make the shift for yourself? Because I make little shifts all the time. You know, I've done huge things that, you know, I've gotten chastised for. And you lost a lot of friends too, right? Yeah, I lost a lot of friends. Uh, one, because I mean, everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, not because I specific, not that I was acting Well, I, you know, I, I decided to leave med school and everything. So in that sense, I guess I was acting crazy, but not that I was saying anything that was alarmingly crazy, but it was, they thought I was crazy. And they, I lost a lot of friends because in a lot of people's minds, at least in my friends' minds, I, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and everybody's, you know, big into politics and having all these degrees. So I, it, it came off that I reached what a lot of people would consider successful. I was doing plastic surgery research at Stanford. I, I led a plastic surgery research group. So I spent my entire life building up the CV, which a lot of people would consider to be a really, you know, strong, like, good career path and I decided to drop it and to them I guess they put a lot of value in who I was and that identity so when I tell people I want to start a 
home decor business instead and I have nothing to show for it, they just assumed I, I kind of lost my mind. I started really going into motivation and I would talk about it and I would tell people kind of my experience and how I feel like I, I'm onto something. And people thought I was crazy. Um, so so I, I ended up losing a lot of friends and it felt bad. But for but in what I, in my mind, it, I felt like I just had to do it because it was still worth it. Even losing all of those friends, it was worth it to get to, to where I'm at. And I still stand by that decision, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, same thing happened to me. I was in my mid 30s when I started to write and create and approach this other path that was always within me, you know, and a, a lot of people around me were like, you're crazy. What are you doing? You know, a lot of my coworkers and my coworkers at the time, like I was working at a children's hospital as a nurse practitioner and you know, they would just, they were kind of very boring. I could never connect with them. And they just, you know, did their job, went home to their families, whatever, and, and came to work again. And I mean, they were just very typical and, and that's great for people who want to be boring, but there's so much more to this life. I mean, I'm sure you figured that out and you're so young. It's so great that you figured it out too. I am actually talking to a lot of people your age who are making these great quantum shifts, you know, and realizing, wait a minute, the straight and narrow path, it, it's, it has nothing really to offer me, or maybe it does for some people. I, I don't know. What, what are your, what's your take on that? Yeah. So I think actually, so a big, something that I've really been able to hold on to and something that's really influenced me is that I, um, We've heard the quote before, you'll become what you believe, you know, you're, right. you're worthy of having. And I think a lot of people think it's a really cute quote, but it wasn't until honestly the past year I internalized it in such a deep way for me because while I was on that run, I had those thoughts come. I think everybody has thoughts and dreams for what they want in their life to some degree. Maybe not, maybe not as vivid as others, but people can at least imagine what they want. The thing that stops people from chasing them and... And the people that do is I think the people that do, they believe it. And, right. and even if it comes off crazy, they're willing to have the world call them crazy because to them it's worth it. And I mean, I think about like Steve Jobs, Kobe Bryant, just people that right. I like to listen to and stuff. And they all say everybody called them crazy. Yeah. I mean, Steve Jobs, the first Apple commercial back in the 80s or 90s, it was all about the crazy people are the ones that change the world. And because he really believed Love that. that. Yeah. And so for me, it was the first time. And I was like, well, what would I lose if I was crazy enough to believe I could do this? Okay, well, I'd lose my friends financially that might screw me over. But what if I was crazy enough to believe it, then at least I'm in the game. But here's the thing, like if you're if 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 you're not crazy enough to believe you could do it, you have a 100 percent chance of not doing it no matter what. At least if you're crazy enough to believe it, at least you're in the game. Like, at least you have a chance. And for me, I was like, okay, I, I want to at least have a chance. I want to I want, I see if I could do it. And I think that it, it's allowing myself to even think that crazy thought and also believe the crazy thought, it, it's kind of what led me down this path. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's so beautiful. And I love that. The crazy people are the ones who change the world, you know? Um, 
I was like listening to something the other day. I don't know if it was a podcast, TikTok, whatever it was. Um, and they were saying that five-year-olds, like they, they tested a bunch of five-year-olds and they found that they had this genius capacity. But by the time they came around to them again, when they were like in sixth grade or whatever, like less than half of them had that genius capacity. So it's almost like regular school, regular, you know, society really dumps people down to say, hey, you're just a robot. You got to go do your nine to five. And for, for so long, up until COVID, I think people were so programmed into thinking, oh, this is what life is. We, you know, you wake up, you go to work, you get a degree, you go to work, you have a family, you have a house, you get a car, you know, and and, and then now we have all these people, they're depressed, they're not fulfilled, you know, because they're not following their internal dreams, you know, and they're not really listening to themselves. It's like, you know, if someone goes, oh, I want to be an artist, the number one thing people will say is, you're never going to make money, you know, uh, being an artist. It's like, okay, go, go talk to Jean-Michel Bascaille, you know? And yes, it, it, I mean, his story is pretty fascinating and and stuff. And, and he really knew how to play the game. And one of the things that you said right there is the game, you know, if you believe like I do, we live in a simulated reality and stuff. it, it, It is a game you know, life is a game. It's almost like the Truman show. Okay. It's like, are you just going to be that person that does the straight and narrow? Are you going to go on the crooked path? You know, crooked path, so much harder, (laughs) but so much more fun. Let me tell you, you know, and it's fun because, well, because it feels like an adventure and when we're too everybody you know we love reading the books on the superheroes and you know people that go out on an adventure and they're bold and they're brave and we 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 love reading those books because some something in those books kind of rings true with us you know some part of that book it resonates with us on some sort of level and then when we become adults and the world feel feels so concrete and real that yeah. we think that that's just something that kids that those are kid books so then when you actually implement those things as adults and you protect your dreams and you go out and you're bold and you're courageous and you take life on a, as an adventure it's scary and not many people do it but it's uh, at the end of the day, like I, I, at least me personally, I think, you know, we just have we're, we're running this race. We, all, we don't know what's going to happen after we die, but we know we're all going to die. So if I know what the ending is going to be, at least in this life, then I guess my mindset now is I want to try to run the best damn race that I can. Yeah, exactly. Whatever like, that is for me. Yeah, yeah, you have one life to live. And I'm so glad you brought up books because I was thinking about that, like, I remember when I was in 11th grade AP English and we had to read like Sudhartha by Herman Hess and we had to read Catcher in the Rye. Okay. So what are those books about? Those books are about these young men leaving home and pursuing this different path, you know, and, uh, you know, I just revisited um, Herman Hess's Sudhartha all because I watch a Lindsay Lohan movie, which was so funny. So <laughs> this movie, which is is very existential, and yeah. I happened to find it in a secondhand store called Revivals, and I was I bought it because it was a joke for my friend. It's called Diary of a um, Teenage Drama Queen. 
right? Oh, yep, yep, yeah. And and let me tell you, that movie is all about manifesting. I mean, she's dreaming it just like we were talking about, you know? And um, like I just like I said, I just got it. I have this joke with one of my friends, Rob, that we I he loves Lindsay Lohan and I always send him weird Lindsay Lohan stuff in the mail. And so yeah. I had found it and I was like, hey, I'm going to and I go, well, before I send it to him, I'm going to watch it, you know, and yeah. um, it, it's just amazing. You know, she starts dreaming up her life and all this stuff comes true. You know, she's like, I want to be this Hollywood actress. And, you know, she nabs the the role in the play of Pygmalion. You know, she's the lead and look what it is. Pygmalion transformation. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's all about that. So cool. And in it, there's a band called Sudhartha, you know, which yeah. Sudhartha or something like that. And she starts like following the guy around. She realizes he's an alcoholic. She's like, oh, wait a minute. You that's not what I envisioned. <laughs> <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes and gets sober and he comes back and he, you know, connects with her. And, you know, he's like, oh, I, I just went to get, you know, I was inspired by you to go get sober and stuff like that. It was a great movie. Um, And you think, like, how can a Lindsay Lohan movie really shift stuff? But that movie, let me tell you, it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and it was actually the precursor to Mean Girls, which is is very interesting. So if anybody needs wacky inspiration, let me tell you, you got to watch a uh, diary of a teenage drama queen, Lindsay Lohan. Excellent. Very inspiring. So uh, and it, it is really cool. I know it's kooky, but very fun and cool. So um, one of the things that, so I practice synchromysticism and I practice synchronicities. I've had, um, I've had a guest on the show. I can't like his, my, he's escaping me right now where we did yeah. an episode on synchronicities. Okay. And because I get a lot of them in my life and I, I'm like, what is going on in my brain? Why do I have these syncs? You know, it's like my conscious and my subconscious mind are syncing up to bring to me all this stuff. One day I was working um, at a clinic covering for a doctor and I kept seeing this shadow. I should have put the little picture up to show everybody uh, for the YouTube version, but I kept seeing this shadow in the bathroom and it looked like an octopus and it was on the wall and it was a rack. Right. And I was just like, this is so bizarre. Like, I don't know, you know, and every time I would go into that bathroom, I would just stare at it. And the funny thing is I was going into the wrong bathroom first and my medical assistant was like, no, 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 that's our bathroom. That's the patient bathroom. That's our bathroom. Use this one. So I was like, push to go to this bathroom first of all. And I was like, okay. So it kept staring at this thing. Months before this, like in July, I was speaking to uh, one of the the baristas at a coffee shop here, and um, he was telling me he was an he was an artist. And I asked him what kind of an art, what kind of art that he did. And he said Dada art. And I was like, okay. And he explained to me about the urinal and this and that. And I was like, okay, it's like putting things together that don't really mesh well, you know. And so I was yeah. like, okay, cool, whatever. So I, I go and, um, you know, I happened to go to my favorite bar and we're talking about books. And I had this other book, uh, John Updike, Rabbit Run, right? And, you know, he's like, oh, that's a series. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of boring, you know? And he's like, I really love Dan Brown's books. And I was like, oh, yeah, he wrote Dante's Inferno. That was his last book. 
And I took a class on Dante. I have this other whole thing on Dante that I'm doing. And so I I go into revivals again, the secondhand store and boom, there's the book. And I was like, okay. So I start reading it and there, and in it, the protagonist is all like, I feel like I'm in a Marcel Duchamp painting. And I was like, who's Marcel Duchamp? Marcel Duchamp happens to be the father of Dada art. So here I start with what is Dada? And all of a sudden I find Marcel Duchamp. And as yeah. I start getting into Marcel Duchamp, and this was after like I read a little bit about him and kind of didn't go back to him. And one day I decided to write a blog about um, my synchromistic journey because I was like, ah, I should just, you know, write a book about what's going on in my life because I think it's very interesting, you know. Yeah. And it's off of Herman Hesse's book, uh, Playing the Glass Bead Game, kind of. And so <laughs> as I'm writing my my blog, my third blog, and I'm looking more into Marcel Duchamp's work, he has the same exact hat rack almost that he's yeah. looking at this shadow. And so he says, as he's looking at that shadow... And in my blog, I put my picture next to his picture, you know, as he's looking at that shadow, he's like, that's the fourth dimension. So what is the fourth dimension? That's a dimension where creatives and artists go to. It's a dimension between time and space to where you can get those universal intelligence downloads and you can connect. And I know it sounds crazy. You can connect with different artists, different, like you just brought up Steve Jobs, you know, and learning from them, you know, it's almost like this quantum computer of sorts, which is pretty wild. Have you ever experienced anything like that? I know it's pretty out there. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I completely get what you mean. Honestly, so it's, it, it sounds kind of kooky when like people how, hear it first. And, and how did you get the idea again for your plant business and everything too? Like, yeah, you got the idea, but that also came from somewhere. So I think these two kind of go in together. Yeah. Um. So I think, I guess in response to your first question, so while I was on that run and I was like, how how the heck do I get out of here? I think w the way you can kind of access that space where you have access to greater thoughts and greater ideas than you can come up with yourself is um, you can't just want it you can't just think that you want it and it can't just be a whole mind game it's a lot more than just using your mind like the thoughts that are racing through your head your heart and your mind really have to be aligned to kind of tap tap into that at least in my case so i was going through six months of depression just because i was so unhappy with where i was at and i kept asking myself during that what like how do i get out of this how do i get out of this and i mean Quite honestly, I was at a period of depression where it got so bad that I, I I needed to figure out a way out because if I didn't, I I was scared of what other option I would have tried to come up with. And what and when I finally was on that run, I feel like I, I reached a point where my ego and everything I cared about to try to my social status, my all of that, my the the pain that my ego was causing was so great at that point that I just couldn't handle it anymore. So then I go on that run and I'm, I'm crying my eyes out, trying to figure out an answer. And my heart wanted the answer all along, but my ego and caring about the social status, it kept getting in the way. And at that run, 
it was also a full moon which was like and I, I was like looking up at the moon at the time because it was such a big bright full moon and on that run I, I felt like I, I I reached a point where I was like screw this I'm done listening to you in response to the ego caring about the social status and it was the first time in my life that I I felt I, I kind of separated myself from the voice telling me that I want all of these things. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it was the first time in my life that I separated my sense of identity from my ego that was that cared about the fa- the the social status and everything. And the moment I was able to separate who I am from how I want to be perceived, it it felt like it was almost instantaneously it opened up this space that I was able to actually access an answer because I stopped, because I put my ego to the side. And, and at that moment, when, when that happened, it honestly felt like I opened up the floodgate. So I know that sounds really weird, but it was at that moment where all of a sudden these thoughts and these ideas came because I was able to kind of suppress my ego and just like put it to the side and actually allow it to all flow through the heart. So I think for, love that. if if, I I don't know if that kind of, no, it's totally, yeah, yeah. That's that is the basis of an existential crisis and really putting your ego aside. I mean, and you learned it at such a young age, which is so awesome, you know, and a lot of people don't come to that ever. Like people I know people in their 60s and 70s that even can't come to that, you know, but that that is huge. That is huge. And you were able to go into that fourth dimensional space to get what you needed to get where all your ideas were. It's almost like going into an addict of some sort. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, and it was the first time it came from such an authentic place. And even, even now separate from chasing these new career goals and this new vision that I have for my life, it affected me on what I value in my life more than anything, which is why, I mean, even my my mother and my my close friends that are still around me, they all tell me that I'm just different because separate from what I'm chased, chased, like chasing, it affects my mom actually likes it. My mom says she just feels like I'm kinder now. Um, I love and, that. Yeah. And I, it's not like I'm out here and the first thing I'm thinking about is how can I be kinder today? She just thinks that I'm a kinder person. I think she I think she thinks that because um, and I think I am. I think it's because I stopped caring to uh, put on an act. So just naturally, I stopped caring about my social status as much, um, how people like perceive my looks, all of those things that we're, we're told by society we want to chase. I, I, I really don't care for it as much anymore. So I think when you stop caring about that stuff, you're, you're just a bit more authentic too. Exactly. You're your true self. So. Yeah. And then the idea for the plant business, it came from just a hobby you had during COVID, right? Yeah, exactly. I um, I was just a hobby during COVID. Actually, I was in a previous relationship and my ex, he told me that his one of his roommates was buying and selling like rare plants. And they're like the reason they're just like hobbyist plants. They, they're just like nice, pretty house plants. But the reason they're rare is because they have a genetic mutation that makes them partially albino. So they're these really funky looking cool plants. And I I got into it because, like I said, my whole science background, I love biology. So I was like, oh, I'm curious to see like what like these funky plants from like the biological standpoint. But I bought one and I and it was ridiculous, especially in the middle of COVID. They were like two, three hundred dollars a leaf. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. And it but um, I, I, I bought one and I was like, OK, like, let me just grow it out and then chop it up and sell, you know, cuttings. And I started doing that. 
And it was just a fun hobby. And I, I, I was doing this for a whole year before I decided to make the hop. Um, but I really got into the niche and there's a whole community of rare plant hobbyists that I, that I became a part of and oh, yeah, it's a, it's a whole fun thing. And, um, and from that, I, it kept growing. So then I decided to create a website and then from that website, I was like, okay, well, let me, I want to start adding products. Um, so I started like also selling soil and planters, but the whole time it was something you know, it was more of a fun hobby from my apartment. I didn't see it as something I, I would ever chase as a career. Um, but I started to really look forward to doing that more than I was looking forward to doing medicine. And it was just, it was just fun, but it never felt like I it was ever going to be my way out or to become what it is now at all. And um, from that, I wanted to sell plant pots. But as the business was growing um, and I couldn't find any that I liked because the, the rare plants, they look very unique. So I wanted to find unique looking planters and I couldn't find any in the United States. But I, I heard of uh, businesses in Europe and they were um, 3D printing planters and they had these really cool designs. Uh, initially, I reached out to them and I was like, hey, I'd like to purchase wholesale but with shipping internationally and just the pricing, it was it was going to cost too much. So I was like, OK, well, why don't I figure out how to try to do this myself? Uh, and I bought a 3D printer and I thought it was going to be just like plug and print type of situation. And I quickly realized it wasn't. Um, so for like four or five months, I just worked on learning how to really use a 3D printer and, and creating the designs. My college roommate, who I didn't talk to for five years, randomly saw on social media that I was designing these that I bought a 3d printer and he has a background in engineering so he's like oh I can create the files for you if you can design the sketches so then me and him awesome. got connected yeah and from there I started designing them and I would meet with him on zoom and he would help me create the 3d files and we just started going at it from there um and I, I started selling on Etsy initially I noticed that I was actually selling more of those a lot quicker than I was the plants and it was scaling to a point that like beyond what the plants could ever scale to uh, and that's around the same time that I had that run and then I decided okay I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue this and I want to go not just planters but I, I want to try to turn this into a much larger uh, home decor business which is what we're working towards now yeah super cool that is so inspirational like I love that I, I love your whole story. It's just, you need to be in like the entrepreneur digest section. <laughs> you know? so yeah, you should, you should pitch them and be like, Hey, listen to my story, you know, but, but it, cause it's so inspirational. I mean, think of how many people just like you, um, for example, I was covering at a federally qualified clinic and there were a bunch of new residents there and um, very young, like around your age and stuff. And um, one of them, like, they all kept telling me the same thing, which was incredibly sad. They're like, we don't really want to work here, but we're just here for three years to pay off our loans. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Isn't that and terrible? They don't care about the community. They don't care about the good. You know, I've spent my whole entire career working in the lower socioeconomic population, the Latino population, I really do love it. You know, I really do love my patients. I really do love teaching them and being such a, a source. 
Um, and, and, and to hear this, you know, and one would, you know, to help out his day, he'd go play tennis on his lunch break, you know, cause I was like, Oh, look at you. You're playing tennis, you know? And he goes, yeah, I found this class. It helps me to relax, you know, and tries to kind of gets me through my day because I have to be here for three years, you know, another one, um, she was really cool, bubbly. She was doing women's health. And um, she was like, you know, I just took off to Tahiti for three days. She goes, I found a plane ticket for $750 and I did it because I can. I go, that's so awesome. And she goes, yeah, because I have to be here for three years. Like she's telling me this whole three-year story, you know, because they get their loans paid off. And then I'm like, okay. And she goes, I really want to be a travel writer. And I was like, well, I'm a writer. You should just start writing. Take a class. You could take a class with me. Do you think she was like, oh, no, 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 couldn't do that. You yeah. know, um, I do have a friend uh, who I met. She was an anesthesiologist at Children's Hospital, and she was going to FIDM at the time to get her associate's degree in fashion and styling. You know, and she's like, yeah, that was always my passion, you know, and now she even started a nonprofit where she meshed the two, you know, her fashion and, uh, you know, her anesthesiology degree and stuff where she does stuff for kids in hospitals and and everything. Yeah. But, um, you know, you get you only have one life to live. Right. Absolutely. And you can't be living it for other people. Um, and, and so many, and that, 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 that can mean so many different things. I think, I mean, another reason I, I decided to become a doctor from the very beginning, which is, uh, it's, uh, it's a, um, a big part of the reason I wanted to become a doctor. I felt like I needed to become a doctor is because of the financial security from the very beginning. Um, this is going to get kind of deep, but I'm, I'm gay and I come from a very, um, religious Muslim background. Uh, so there was a lot of childhood trauma that I, that I had to deal with because of that. And I, I needed to escape pretty much for me. Um, so I felt like the only way that I could be able to quote unquote escape was to become financially independent. And to me, I felt like I had to become a doctor to be able to escape my upbringing and to be able to get away from that because it was um, because I didn't know any other way to do it. So I felt like my entire life, I mean, from zero to like 20, what I, when I joined med school, 24, I think I, a lot of it was um, I was very motivated. I was very driven. I, I worked really hard to get in, but the motivation and the underlying tone to want to do all of that was uh, was coming from a place of fear and escapism and when I finally got into med school, and that, that's why I say it was the first time where I felt like the where my where what the vision I could see for my life was finally so much bigger than what I could have ever imagined, because it was the first time that I realized I there's another way to live my life without feeling like I have to I have to run and I have to try to escape. There's another way out that I can you know with an underlying tone of of joy and freedom. Um, and it sucks because even if there's a lot of people that aren't in situations like myself, but they're under, you know, fine, they're under the financial toll of med school or whatever else, uh, it, it really does affect people when you feel like you're being choked by anything. Honestly. Right. It's so true. Yeah. You know, um, family, you know, the excuses I get are, oh, but I have a family. Oh, but I have this. And people do amazing things all the time, you know, 
all the time. And it's just like the excuses are just your ego building walls around you, you know, about uh, what your potential. And it's not until you go through an existential crisis, you know, and, and a lot of people don't even want to go through that because it's really, it could get very dark. I mean, mine, I've been through many dark night of the souls, you know, um, and, and sometimes they're, they're deep and they're intense and you just know that there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel that'll get you through. And I would always tell myself, I will be all right. I will be all right. You know, and, and with you, uh, um, I have a, a similar story. It's like, I got married because of that. I was like, Hey, this is my only way of leaving <laughs> family yeah. situation you know, to get married, you know, and I was your, I was like 26 years old and I had, you know, my nursing degree already and everything, but I, I felt, and that actually got me into a deeper pit for, for six months. I was just like, this is not what I want. You know, I had the home, I had the marriage, but I was morbidly unhappy. And it wasn't until that dissolved that I was like, wait a minute, I have a home all by myself and I could do it. I go, this person has left my life. And my life has gotten nothing but better. So, uh, yeah, so it, it is a very interesting trajectory. One of the things that I thought was so interesting about you was your research background, you know, and how you were um, uh, going to conferences and, and uh, you know, presenting at conferences and stuff. And, and you give a lot of advice to um, residents, who are doing the same thing. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Cause I, I love your um, advice that you give. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I was, um, I, I, so the one thing I, I really did enjoy is uh, I, I really enjoyed just conducting research in general and doing medical research. So I started doing medical research when I was in college um, and it was a lot of bench work initially, just like data analysis and um, PCR and that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't until I, towards the end of college, I started working at a plastic surgery clinic in Laguna Beach, actually. And uh, we started doing research on, uh, we, we started doing like patient control trials and uh, or patient studies. And that kind of led me to doing more. And then when I got into uh, medical school at George Washington University, that's when I really started focusing on systematic reviews. So I actually got a mentor when I first started and I joined a plastic surgery group at Georgetown University and they were conducting systematic reviews. And when I when I go into something, I really do go like full. Yeah, yeah so, I love it. And I quickly started asking them um, like, hey, tell me like, I, what if I wanted to start writing my own or what if I wanted to start leading my own project? And, you know, usually when you, you when you really want to figure out something, you'll find a way. So quickly, I learned to start yeah. doing it on my own. And at the time, George Washington University didn't really have a plastic surgery research group at all. But by that point, I was like, okay, well, I've been doing it myself. Um, so I got some doctors at George Washington University uh, some plastic surgeons there. And I kind of was the liaison between them and the students. Uh, and we started doing, I started like, you know, leading uh, plastic surgery research. A lot of it was systematic reviews. At the same time, while before I entered med school, when I was at the University of California, I uh, was doing a lot of outreach there. And I got connected to um, Dr. David Kahn. He's a plastic surgeon at Stanford. And uh, I built a really strong relationship with him to when even I did go to med school in DC, 
I started reaching out to him once I figured out how to do systematic reviews. And I was like, hey, it's it's been a minute since we've chatted, but I'd love to start doing research with you. And he agreed and he really liked my work. So then he invited me to become a, a researcher there. So I started flying between DC and uh, Palo Alto, Stanford. And I started doing a lot more systematic reviews, which then led to a lot of actually um, like uh, actual working with patients directly. And I loved it. So I started to, and people would reach out to me. And at my med school, people started knowing that I was the guy who was doing all this plastic surgery research. So people started to naturally start to ask me how to do it. And that's when I also started, initially I started my TikTok and I would just tell kind of people what to do just because yeah. I was interested. And I had a TikTok like way back, this must've been like a year ago now or something that I, I just kind of like, was stating what I know. And I guess one of them kind of got a little bit big, um, like 70 or 80,000 views. And then I had a ton of students reaching out to me, asking me how to do medical research after that TikTok blew up. So I just kept publishing more. Um, and yeah, now I've, before I left medicine, I think I've had over 30, like just 30, a mix of conferences, abstract presentations, all of that. Um, so it's been, it's been a long journey, but yeah, it's kind of how my wow. research thing kind of took off. Yeah. You are so impressive. Like I said, and, <laughs> and you're so young. So it's like, I would love to see you in 10 years. It's like, what, oh, where is Wally going to be in 10 years? <laughs> what is your 10 year plan? I hate saying that, you know, like yeah. people would ask me in interviews, where do you see yourself in five years? I don't know. You know, yeah. Um, so I have, oh my God, you're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> no, I don't think you're, well, th that's what I'm going to, you know, this is going to be the title of this podcast. It's like only crazy people can change the world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, so my, my 10 year plan and this is, so when I was on that run, this is, this is the kind of full on vision I had, whether or not this happens, I'm just going to tell you kind of what I'm chasing. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm just telling you what I'm chasing is, um, we are, I have this home core business right now. Like just what we're doing at this exact moment is we're 3d printing plant pots and vases. Um, and we are actually working on much larger three foot sizes. So I actually started meeting with a silicon molding expert because we're going to start offering larger sizes for commercial spaces. But the from the very essence and the branding is very influenced with being eco-friendly. Um, yeah, we made a percent of our revenue to CO2 removal technologies. And now we're planting a tree in Madagascar for every order. And I've always just been I very... I love that, yeah. I've just, I've always been really big on the environment. That That's just it just means a lot to me. It matters. It's really important to me. Um, and our material is made out of recycled wood. So when I, the vision that I have for the company is I want to expand into becoming a home decor company, but I really, what I want is I want to create like almost an eco-friendly Wayfair is yeah. that's the closest thing. I want to do that for five five-ish years and really develop it at the same time my science-oriented brain is really kicking in so I while I'm growing it I, I want to dive deeper into the technology especially regarding 3d printing and just see where that can take me I guess 10 years down the line what I'd, I'd really like to do is I'd love to turn my home decor company with that eco-friendly focus and I'd really see what kind of technology I could delve into and maybe branch outside of home decor when I'm in my late 30s or 40s 
the vision I have for my life is really figuring out some sort of um, some sort of technology that can kind of help the environment. I know that's a completely different tangent, but to me, I see I see that as being a very I see the path for going from this to that very clearly. Um, so that's that's kind of my ten year plan is I really want to expand this business. I really want to focus on our eco friendly, you know, vision and ethos for the business. Um, and yeah, and just really grow on the digital sphere. I love it. I love it so much. So any tips that you can offer anybody listening to this podcast in doing what you did? I mean, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people are in situations they just don't want to be in. It doesn't matter whether you're in medicine, you don't want to just whatever. And I think that at least in my case, I mean, I, a lot of, a lot of people say I took a really bold decision to just leave right then and there. I know some people are not as fortunate as I was to be single at the time without kids. And so right. I, whenever I make a decision, it doesn't affect me. So there are some people that they actually have physical responsibilities. They can't just decide to drop one day. And if you want to take a jump and adopt a new life, I think, well, the first thing before anything else, it has to start with the belief that you can actually do it. And you have to, and it's not just, just believing it at a conscious level, but you were mentioning it earlier in the, in the podcast, you really have to get your subconscious mind to change its belief system. So right. it's not yelling affirmations to yourself in a mirror, but it's actually internalizing and reframing the way you view yourself. So mm -hmm. if you're stuck in a situation and you want to live a different life, what helped me was first viewing, imagining what that life could look like for me and then imagining how I would act and how I would present myself and how I would be living that life. So I think the first thing is if you're trying to change, like sit down with yourself and vision how that life would look if you lived it, how it would feel, how you would act. And what that's going to do, it's not going to like you, you might not have some magical aha moment right then and there. Right. But what that's going to do is it's going to help at least bring to surface the subconscious beliefs or those things that might be holding you back. Oh, I can't do that. That sounds crazy. I don't want to do that because of this, this and that thing. Um, and at least once you're able to notice them, you might not have even noticed them before. That was really helpful for me. And I still do that to this day. I, I always try to remember where the long term where I'm trying to go. And then separately from that, um, a big part of it is even if you can't make a jump immediately, you just have to start in small, the, the, get, do the smallest thing that you can. So if you want to become a, a writer long term, let's say, and you know you can't just quit your job now because you're not going to have any money, just start somewhere. And I think right. a lot of people, they think that they have to, they, when they start, they're going to be amazing. No, everybody who starts anything is going to be shitty in the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And, like, and they're so afraid to show themselves, you know, like, yeah. oh no, who's going to want to read this or who, you know, when I write a piece of writing, I write about what I like to write and what I'd like to read, you know, and, and then a lot of people will be like, hey, this is kind of, I really yeah. like this or I really, and you don't have to like it. You know, to me, I kind of got myself in a place. And when I was working with my hypnotherapist, it, you know, there's no good or bad, you know, yeah. good and bad. My brain sees it the same way. It's all about me producing and creating and getting it out there, you know? So okay. I, that doesn't really hold me back. Like, is this good enough for people to read? It's always good enough for someone to read. If I'm reading it, and if one person reads it, it's good enough. You know, that's Absolutely. just how I see it. 
And I think, yeah, and a lot of people, yeah, I think, I mean, even for me in a big part, and I'm so glad that I, I can tell now I'm really just starting to let it go. It's the fear of what other people think. And right. I really struggled with that, which is why I, I lost my friend group, because, I mean, quite honestly, because of it. But I mean, even with my own business now, if I, I, I'm really proud of how the designs look now. And I actually just got published in a magazine um, that came out and it showed my new designs. But I, I looked back a few weeks ago at the first, first design I ever made. And it looked horrible compared to what it is now. I mean, like it just looks, it looked, it just looked so much worse. And at the time I thought it was amazing, but I've just grown so much since then. Yeah. And what, what it really is, is that when people start off, they're so scared of people judging them or people thinking they're a loser. And quite honestly, you, you will get some of that. Not everybody's going to support you when you decide to do something I, in a magical, you know, in a, in a fairy tale world, when you decide to take something bold or to take risks, you're going to have the whole world supporting you. And I wish I could say that that's going to happen. But at least in my case, that wasn't the case. You're going to have criticism. Right. You're going to have people being like, why are you doing this? And, you, you know, thinking that you're a little bit weird. Um, but you have to be so confident in yourself. And in, and this is why it all really does come back to belief that you have to go into it knowing that people might make fun of you or criticize right. you or and it might not even be in very overt ways, but just give you, you know, the eye roll or something. And you have to be comfortable with knowing that that's going to happen, but work anyways. And 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 that's and a lot of people are. I don't, I've, I've talked to a lot of people and I know a lot of people are still stuck in that initial thing where they're worried what other people are going to think about them. Right. And who cares? They're not, those people are not thinking about you 24 seven. No. I always say, you know, or, or this is a saying my mom would say, it's like, those people don't pay your bills, you know, and, and, and they're not going to come. I mean, I know for me, I remember I connected with this uh, one person who I would meet up with at the coffee shop here, and he was getting his degree in um, health science at his master's or something like that. His mom was a doctor. His sister was a doctor. But there was his ego was just so strong, you know, and I would meet with him and I would just listen to him. And he, you know, and anytime I would talk about like my podcast or my writing or this and that, he once said to me, it was so creepy. He's like, why don't you just be a nurse practitioner? And I was like, whoa. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I was like, wow. I go, you know, you don't know my journey. I, I've been on this journey for a long time and nobody's ever said that to me since 2008, like, whoa, you know, and, um, and, and so, but what was really going on was with him. He was really struggling where, you know, at 31, he wanted to be where I was. And, and I felt he, he felt that I was just throwing away this career. I go, I'm not throwing away that career. I use it. It is my asset, you know, and I call my clinic, my lab, because every time I go in there, I learn so much about my patients and what they need and what's lacking and what people, other people are not doing for them. So, but I could bring so much more and do so much more by not working eight hours a day, you know, five days a week, you know, in doing that. I, I, feel that I provide so much more by what I'm doing, you know, and, and I know that. So, so it's so interesting. And this person was an entrepreneur, like he owned his own gym at one point and this and that. I was like, I go, you know, what you're thinking you're going to go to is not, I, I may not even be good for you. You know, I would start doing, I told him, I go, 
I would do a one-on-one with a PA, you know, (laughs) and see if you really, really wanted to, to pursue that thing. But it was just so like, whoa. And and so I I had to put a boundary. I was like, you know, can't really be friends. (laughs) Nobody's like, you know, uh, told, told me that, but it was, it was really shocking to me. And it, and it, that was just his perception of who I was like, he didn't know. And I was like, that's really interesting. You don't know who I really am. We've only been friends for, you know, maybe three or four months and stuff. And we actually only meet at the coffee shop. We'll talk on the phone every once in a while. You know, it was like more of a, I was like a big sister to him, but, um, so, but it was really, really jarring for me. I was just like, wow, you don't know who I am to the core, you know? So I, I think in that story is you really need to know yourself, you know, Absolutely. it's like, know thyself is the number one thing. Like, you know, you need to know who you are because everybody else will try to project onto you and tell you who you are, you know? And right. I'm sure you've had that experience, you know? Yeah. And no, absolutely. You really got to know yourself because you're going to hear so much coming from so many people that if you don't know yourself, you're going to, you're going to start doubting yourself and then doubting what you're doing. And that's another reason why a lot of people also, when they start, they might not be able to continue. And I, luckily I knew going in because I, in the beginning, nobody believed me and it, even my parents and my mom and my mom is one of the sweetest people ever, but I had nothing. I, I, this happened, that run happened. And it's not like the next day I had all of the data to show that it was going to work. <laughs> right. You're I like spreadsheets. Like, yeah. no, okay, I had, here's my plan, everybody. You know? exactly. so I had nothing. And I'm telling my poor mother that I'm going to start a multi-million dollar business. She thought I was, I absolutely lost my mind because I had nothing to prove for it. Um, but after I had that talk with her, in my mind, I knew going into it that nobody's going to see the fruits of my labor for like minimum six months. Like it's not right. like I'm going to be able to start anything. So I knew going in that nobody's going to believe me in the first six months and I can't expect people to. So I'm not going to look for that. I'm not going to look for right. other people's that outside, people. uh, yeah. you uh, know, that people approval or that, right. you know, people that are giving you. So in the beginning, when you start anything, you don't, you, you just have to believe it's going to happen because you're not going to actually notice the manifestation of whatever you're trying to achieve for months. And that's why you really have to believe that it's possible because you're basically in an incubation period where you're trying to adopt a new life. You left your previous life, but you don't have your new life completely yet. So you're start stuck in this limbo and it can be also be super lonely And you just have to believe that on the other side, you're going to get all of that. And a lot of people, once they get into that limbo where they don't have, where nothing's really showing yet, but everybody's criticizing them. That's Oh yeah. It's it's tough. It's, it's a rough spot, a really rough spot. So, so awesome. So where can people find your awesome stuff, Wally? Yeah. So, um, we're on, uh, our website is woodlandpulse.com woodland, like forests, and then pulse, like a heartbeat pulse.com. And our social media is all the same um, at Woodland Pulse on Instagram um, and uh, and YouTube as well. Yeah. Awesome. I have loved this conversation. Please follow Wally on TikTok. Uh, he gives awesome words of wisdom, and I'd love to see more of those. It's So you're so inspirational. Oh, you bring you. so much light. I love it. Thank you so much. Till next time. Wasn't that an interesting episode? I'm sure you learned something. 
We love our listeners here at the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast, and we'd love it if you did us a favor and gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love it if you throw us some change and gave us a donation. The link is at the end of this episode. You can go ahead and uh, give us a donation on Venmo at Nurses and Hypocon or on our PayPal at the end of the show notes. Thanks for listening. 